This episode is brought to you by FX's The Bear. The hit series returns with Jeremy Allen White in the Golden Globe-winning role of Carmi. He and the team will transform their family sandwich shop into a next-level spot, all while being forced to come together in new ways as they confront their past and reckon with who they want to be in the future. FX is The Bear. All episodes now streaming only on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Certified Piedmontese Beef. Listen up, foodies. Make your next meal even better with real Nebraska beef. They have healthy, tender, delicious Italian heritage beef, grass-fed and sustainably raised on lush pastures in the Midwest. You can even create your own personally curated meat box that's shipped right to your door. To get two free steaks with any purchase over $50, use the code FREEBEEF at checkout. Learn more and shop exclusively at cpbeef.com. Hello and welcome to One for the Road with me, Sober Dave. I'm going to be talking to some incredible guests over the next few weeks, all of whom have made the decision to look at their relationship with alcohol and take steps towards a positive change. My guests are all at different points in their journey, but all have powerful and uplifting stories to share. And that's why I hope you find each episode a valuable source of inspiration and insight. My sponsors for season three of One for the Road are the amazing Rock Sober, a brand established in 2017 and led by brothers Sean and Lee, who are both in recovery and on a shared mission to inspire and support recovering addicts worldwide. Injecting rock and roll into sobriety, Rock Sober offers merchandise and accessories to inspire and empower its community of sober badasses. The boys have recently launched a new range of alcohol-free beers which are taking the market by storm. Every beer purchased will help Rock Sober on their mission to support and inspire more people in recovery. Their message is clear. You don't need alcohol to have a good time. So let's all rock sober and remember the good times with Rock Sober AF Drinks. Welcome to my special bonus edition of One for the Road. Today's guest is CEO of Alcohol Change UK and we tackle sober shaming, stigma, sober spring and of course my 24-hour live-a-thon on the 26th of March. So please welcome Richard Piper. So welcome Richard Piper, CEO of My Favourite Alcohol Change UK. Thank you for coming on my bonus episode of One for the Road. How the devil are you? I'm all right, thank you. Yeah, really good actually. The sun's out here and I've got some tulips that I was given for Valentine's Day, which is lovely. 
How wonderful. It's actually hideous here. So um, <laughs> I'll have to come over and see you. But the reason for the podcast today, it's a bonus episode, as I said, and it's um, talking about different things that Alcohol Change UK does, what your role is and what's coming up in the future. And we've discussed together on some lives um, the subject of stigma, which we both feel really, really passionate about. And I've admitted as well, like probably many others, that We've done that when we were drinking, but it's more about education now, isn't it? And destigmatizing things and stopping sober shaming. And so should we start off with that? Yeah, definitely. Let's, I think it's a, it's a really challenging topic, actually, because I think it, it gets to the heart of what's in our brains, you know, um, if I can mix up hearts and brains. But yeah, it gets, it gets inside the sort of assumptions we have as a society. Um, so it's quite big stuff. But yeah, definitely. Let's start there. Yeah. I mean, when I say I've done it, it's, you know, I feel a bit embarrassed to say that. But I think when I've asked other people, they've held their hand up and said, well, I must admit, you know, like one person said, when they offered a Coke, they said, well, what the hell are you doing in a pub for if you're drinking Coke? You know, and that's the kind of thing we're talking about, isn't it? The, the shaming that we've chosen not to drink alcohol. Let's start with sober shaming because I think um, it's, such a, it's such a really interesting way, actually, of understanding a kind of this big truth. I think there is a big truth here that really, really matters. And that big truth is that our drinking problems are not just down to us. They're down to the world around us. They're down to the society around us and the culture around us. And sober shaming, which is where you're uh, being criticised for not drinking, is like a manifestation of that social pressure. It's a manifestation of that entire culture. And anybody who's blaming themselves for, for their drinking problems you know, can benefit hugely from understanding that actually it's as much to do with the world around us as, as our, own, uh, our own choices. The alcohol industry wants you to think it's your weakness. That's how they get away with selling huge amounts of this toxic, addictive, dangerous drug by this piece of magic of pretending that, oh, there's just a few people that can't cope and it's their problem. It's not true, but they they reinforce that kind of false narrative through this idea that it's all our fault. So actually resisting this idea that it's all our fault is actually a power move on our part. It's us reclaiming the story here of what's actually happening. And sober shaming is is a way that the society actually criticises us for for choosing not to take a drug. It's completely unacceptable. And that's why we started using the word sober shaming, you know, because shaming is something we we kind of, you know, we, we see in other areas, you know, fat shaming or... Uh, in other words, it kind of is, it's, it's a term that I think people are kind of starting to understand as being, you know, something you don't want to do. And of course, yeah, anybody who's <laughs> anybody who's been a drinker has probably also been a sober shamer, as you were just saying. Uh, and, and um, you know, I've got a blog. I'm very upfront about it. I was absolutely a sober shamer. I couldn't understand why people weren't drinking, and I felt offended by their not drinking. And that is my problem. <laughs> That was my problem, not their problem. And actually, it's a social problem. So I think calling out social shaming is kind of a really, it's a really interesting, for me, really interesting idea and a really powerful idea. I think that I would say there's a couple of key rules here. Rule number one is don't do it. <laughs> Rule number one is don't be a sober shamer. Uh, number two is if you do see it, 
actually be cautious. Don't necessarily go into fight mode. You could literally start a fight. You could end up with, you know, you could end up in a situation with violence or, or aggression. You don't necessarily want that. But uh, there are subtler or, or smarter ways sometimes of dealing with that. Uh, we would say number one would be preventing it. It's really helpful. So, guys, I'm going out tonight. I'm not going to drink. If anyone's giving me a hassle about that, I'm going home. Clear, assertive, put people on notice. You're allowed to say that. And that's the really clear the air. <laughs> Secondly, would also be having a quiet word with someone. Look, you know, Dave, you know, I think you're putting, you're putting Frank under a lot of pressure. Frank's actually doing an amazing job with his drinking. You know how supportive you were when he was giving up smoking. I wonder if you might want to think about doing the same with his drinking. You know, you're a great mate. Frank's a lovely guy. Give him a bit of a break. You know, it's that kind of quiet thing, as opposed to always calling it out in in um in, in public, which I think can be. Yeah. But you can also call it out in public if you feel comfortable and if you know the group. You know, so I think you know stopping sober shaming. I think is definitely kind of a big first step for a lot of people. I love that, Richard, because I was thinking then if I was in a big group of burly blokes and that, and I and I called it out then, I could have been intimidated then by them, and you know, so sometimes it's timing, and maybe the next day just just have that quiet conversation um, with your mate. And as you said, it, it came across like in an empathetic way, understanding, and then make maybe using another example, you know, like you wouldn't do that if he was doing this, you know, yeah. it, it would work. Um, and that's really interesting because what you say about warning them up in advance, I've always said that to people. If you're going out, tell people, because if you tell them on the spot that, actually you're not drinking quite often they will go what are you talking about and shove a glass of wine or a pint in your hand and then you feel really awkward and then you end up drinking it so it's forward planning is always key for that one it is it is and confidence and assertiveness you know sometimes we're not used to it we, we can all be a bit british and a bit like swallow our words and ifs and buts and maybes and somehows and possibly's and quites and probably's but actually just you know guys i'm not drinking i don't want any hassle about it <laughs> bang <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay. Mate. I, like I know. So let's talk about the culture of drinking as well, because do you feel like um, that's changing now? Definitely, definitely. So I think it's really important. First thing to say is there's no single drinking culture in Britain. There are loads and loads of different drinking cultures, different faiths, different ethnicities, different parts of the country, you know, different groups. There's as many different drinking cultures as there are people. <laughs> we all have a little bit of drinking culture in our head and we all think our bit of drinking culture is the same as everyone else's. And sometimes some bits are shared with other people and that's what we call shared culture. But a lot of it is actually kind of quite different and unique. So diversity is an important thing to say, first of all. Secondly, um, it's really, I think, important to say the culture in, is flexible. We know that. Um, you know, 30 years ago, the idea that, you know, uh, it would be not a problem uh, for people to get married if they're of the same sex would have been you know, incredible. It was 30 years ago. It, it wasn't that far away from, from when it was illegal for same sex couples to, to have sex. So culture changes and culture is malleable. So I think for me, that's a positive thing. That's an exciting thing. Um, we're definitely seeing younger people turning away from heavy drinking as the norm. It doesn't mean that all young people, it doesn't mean that it's not some drinking, but getting hammered, I think like you and I probably did, is <laughs> definitely becoming less cool and less of a less of a standard way of operating. And then I think st stigma is a really big issue here. So I think we have um, much of our culture stigmatizes being a, a heavy drinker or a problem drinker, actually. So people with drinking problems 
don't feel able to talk about it, feel that it's their fault, going back to this point about blame. They feel that it's a sign of their weakness. And in fact, this, this narrative that things are our fault, I think it's actually a form of abuse. I think it's abusing someone, first by getting them hooked on your product and then making them feel bad about it. And I think that is, is much more serious sometimes than we say it is. Um, and that's what we call, you know, stigma. But I think abuse is a, is a good word for it because I think it, it really makes it clear that this is a power move. This is a way of putting someone in a, in a box and then making them feel bad about being in that box, making them in jail, maybe put, making them feel bad about being in that jail. So people don't want to admit they've got a drinking problem. You know, you, you, you have been very eloquent about that in the past. I was the same. We feel that if we have got a drinking problem, it's our fault. We feel that we should be kind of blamed for it or that, you know, seeking help or support is like a sign of weakness. All the things, actually, that used to apply a few years ago to mental health, <laughs> actually. Uh, and it's brilliant that that has changed. And we need the same change when it comes to alcohol problems. So we need to be able to talk about alcohol problems as common, which they are, we all need to be talking about the problems we've had. We go, yeah, I had that problem. Yeah, I had that problem too. Like we'd mm-hmm. say, yeah, I had a broken toe playing football. No, no one's going to be ashamed to say that. You shouldn't be ashamed to say you had a drinking problem because it's really common. It's that thing, isn't it? Um, it's the only drug you have to justify not taking, right? Which is ridiculous now. But so, what um, at Alcohol Change UK are you doing this year to change that narrative? Because I know um, you've got a campaign coming up, which I'm hopefully going to be involved with heavily because I feel really passionate about it as well because I get several messages from people of my age group that have lost a partner because they haven't seeked help because they feel ashamed or they feel they're going to get spoken about and I also talk to people as you know Sarah Drage who lost her dad she had to turn his life support machine off that he wouldn't seek help because of that as well so what are we going to do this year to change that? So we'd love to do a campaign around the fact that stigma kills. Interestingly, I've seen uh, a campaign that launched uh, earlier this week with the name Stigma Kills by a different organisation, which is great. Uh, so, you know, we, we will look to work jointly with them. So I think sometimes when you put all our voices together, we're so much louder together. Um, that's looking at all forms of substance abuse uh, and looking at drugs specifically. Why do you think it's important that we understand that alcohol is different for exactly the reason you said. It's this drug that is normalised. So it, I think it does need a special kind of focus and a special campaign. We've particularly been working with, with MPs to encourage them to tell their stories um, in the House of Commons, which has been really, really powerful. So, yeah, um, I think telling our stories is so important. And we've got MPs doing that in Parliament. Uh, we've got uh, our website is full of blogs of people telling their stories. Um, but what we, I think we need to be doing is getting those stories out there. So it, it's the hidden parts of the population. It's the people who aren't, aren't linked into our website. You know, I, I'm not delusional. I don't think everyone wakes up on a, on a morning, does Wordle, and then links yeah. onto the Alcohol Change UK website. You know, that's not happening. So we need to be getting that out there. Um, I think some of this is social marketing, some of this is word of mouth, but also just a lot of it is just persistence and, and keeping going. I don't think we need a campaign that burns brightly and ends quickly. I think we need something that's persistent and long-term and that keeps encouraging people to, to understand the stigma and to talk out. And the more of us speak about this stuff, 
the lower that stigma becomes. I absolutely agree. So we've got spring coming up and you're doing Sober Spring again, which um, I got involved with last year. I think me and my wife, Em, did a blog on your website last year. Um, and that starts the 21st of March, which is very soon, and goes on for 92 days. Do you want to tell us what that involves? Yeah, so Sober Spring, I mean, Closing the name, it's, it's it's a sustained period of sobriety. What we know, because you know people do dry January, uh, whether they have a drink or whether they stay completely dry, it's very much a learning experience. And we work with people year round. So the people that join us for the dry January program stay with us February, March, many of them, most of them. And the most common experience is people attempt to moderate in February. And I completely get that. I completely get that. You've been drinking for 20, 30 years. You see it as part of your life. You've been successful at having a month off, and that's given you, I suppose, a confidence that you can control it. Uh, so then you attempt to return to moderation. And let's be fair, some people do succeed. Not for me, but, but for some people, it really does work, and they get control of their drinking. Big tick, well done, fantastic. Off you go into the world. You know, your risk of dying from alcohol is now kind of dropped to, to almost zero. Brilliant. Well done. Dry January's done its job for you. But for m- most people, that moderation journey, you know, first week's okay. Second week, a yeah, bit, bit, bit dicey. Third week, OMG, mm. they are drinking like they drank in December. So Sober Spring is deliberately designed as kind of a like a chance to go, okay, I think moderation might not be for me or I've got some serious habits here we know that 31 days isn't enough time to reset your habits completely it's enough time to work out that you need to which is what's so powerful about dry January but if you really kind of want to take that next step sober spring can be for you you access it through the try dry app you tap the sober spring goal and say that's what I want my goal to be Uh, that gives you access to an exclusive uh, free email coaching program and a brilliant series of curated blog posts written by a load of great people and and hosted by our great friend Millie Gooch who will be making sure those blogs are kind of absolutely fantastic and they'll give you inspiration throughout that kind of quite a long period for many people 92 days you're going to need a bit of inspiration to get you through that 92 days but I you know I'm not I'm not a big fan of guarantees I think life is complex and complicated but I, I would go as close as I can to a guarantee that anyone who's able to stay sober for 92 days will see a change, will see a really a kind of moment in which they, they feel that they've got, they've got the handle on their, their drinking now. And that habit will have reset. What you do afterwards, again, is up to you. You don't need to go completely abstinence. Um, you could try and be an occasional drinker, a moderate drinker, whatever, whatever you choose. We don't do telling you what to do. We just don't do that. Um, but that 92 days will be enough to reset your habits. Um, and if you're successful with that, I think you could be successful with with drink control for the rest of your life. I agree because, um, you know, there's that thing around 100 days is where it, it changes. And it did for me because when you say about habit, I found new things to do. And by the time it got to 100 days, I didn't want to go back to it. And that was the difference. Yeah, you know, my life, my health had changed. My blood pressure had gone back to normal. When my doctor actually said that I could drop down dead, uh, it was that high. My weight was fluctuating, but I didn't do it to lose weight. But it was an issue because I couldn't even bend down and put my socks out 
on without being out of breath, you know, but that came later on. But my mental health, my anxiety improved, my relationships improved, you know, 100 days was a great thing. So what happens in that sober spring is my livathon. Now, that is now on the 26th of March. And have I gone mad, Richard? Because the last one was 15 hours, which was exhausting, but I, I lived off adrenaline. I've decided to do 24 hours this time because that's what I'm like, a maniac. So I'll be talking to people all over the world. I've got it all lined up already from Australia, Canada, Iceland, Denmark, I think, Spain, everywhere. That's the contacts that I've picked up over my three years of sobriety. And it's just, it's incredible, you know, the amount of people I know over the world. I think it's a fantastic idea. I like the idea that you're going around the world in 24 hours. Yeah. If you cross the timeline, does that mean that actually you go back a day? Yeah, it's back and <laughs> forward because Australia were forward. You might end up living a day longer. Yeah, I know. It, it's, it, it's, I've really had to fiddle the time zones around because um, of the graveyard shift between sort of 2 a.m. and 7 a.m. because it's Saturday to Sunday. But the last one I did, people were watching it like a Truman Show. They said they, they couldn't work that day. They were literally dipping in and out all day long. And we, you know, the people were so kind. We raised over £5,000 for our cold change. So I'm hoping this time around we could do even more. And it'd be really interesting and useful to know um, where their money would go for this live from. Sure. So, I mean, first thing for me to say is we're so grateful to you for doing it. And, and I think it, it is going to be amazing. I'm really, really looking forward to it and being part of it. It's really important, I think, for both you and me that people enjoy it and get something out of it and use that experience to give a bit back um, because you're going to be putting in a huge amount of effort. And I think, you know, people appreciating that and appreciating that the need to give give a bit back uh, is going to be really, really important. I think one of the most important things here, let's, let's talk about money. Let's talk about money because 8.8 billion pounds is kind of a lot of money, right? That's an awful lot of money. That's how much the alcohol industry spends on marketing, not on producing, not on distribution. It spends a lot more on those. That's just what it spends on marketing a year. No wonder <laughs> so many of us find it difficult when we're kind of in the clutches of this, this product to, to get out of it because we're incessantly marketed at. And, and in the UK in particular, the controls on marketing are so lax. It's untrue uh, compared to many other countries. So you can hardly escape it. I'm sure many of you, your listeners will know if you're you know, trying to you know, control your drinking, uh, it's really, really, really hard to escape alcohol marketing. Even if you turn it off your preferences, et cetera, you know, it's, 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 it's really, really difficult. So we're an organization that runs on about 1.4 million <laughs> competing with an industry that if, if the alcohol industry was a country, it would be the ninth biggest country in the world. It, you know, it'd be bigger than Italy in terms of its GDP. So, so every pound we get, helps us fight that. And I don't just mean fight the alcohol industry. It's not like some, you know, playground scrap here. What we're talking about here is shifting culture. We're talking about shifting politics. We're talking about working with MPs so that rather than two MPs, we've got 10 MPs or 20 MPs or 50 MPs, as opposed to the 220 MPs who are on the beer group. You know, we've got a lot of work to do, but it's achievable. And that's what gets me up in the morning is the idea that ending alcohol harm is something we can do in our lifetimes, but we have to work together. 
and Alcohol Change UK is a place where we can come together as a, as a movement. Um, you know, we currently make a deficit. That means that we we spend more than we bring in. And we do that because spending money is what we're about. We don't want to fundraise because it's an end in itself. We want to do fundraising so that we can spend that money to change the world. Um, and we do that through dry January, um, soda spring. All of that is free to the user. But of course, it costs us an awful lot of money to keep that going. All our campaigning work, all our policy work, all our attending meetings, you know, we have to have you know, members of the team to do that. That all costs money. So everybody chipping in even a little bit, you know, five are here, 10 are there, you know, sticking, sticking a direct debit on for, for a five or a month, anything like that just goes such a long way. We run on a shoestring. So, so what that means is there's hardly, there's just no waste in our organisation. We're really kind of lean uh, and that money will make a difference and will probably save someone's life. You know, it costs £2.50 for us to take someone through dry January successfully. And I don't mean dry January, I mean through dry January into a way up to June, July, August, turning their drinking around. So for a tenner, you can take four people through that process. That's incredible. When you hear it like that, you know, that makes me want to donate to my own live fund, you know, because that's amazing. And when you hear those statistics, 8.8 billion on marketing, that's just disgusting. I walked past a pub just before lockdown uh, near where I live and there was a blackboard outside and it said, Monday morning blues, cure it with booze. And I went in uh, and I said, are you the manager? He said, yeah. I said, what, what is that outside? You know, and, and after this heated debate about the whole thing, he changed it. But it's things, these subliminal messages that you get in all the time when you go into the supermarket and you see the cards. These, this new card range was at child eyeline height. You know, that they're seeing like gin and vodka and there's light bulbs of elements in now with gin when you turn the light on, you know, all these subliminal things and the wine o'clock culture. And it's when you said about that figure, that made me want to think, right, what pose can I do to make this more available for people to recognise this, that we all feel such shame with where alcohol's taken us in our life. And as you said right in the beginning, it's not all our fault. But it's made yeah. to look like that. It is it, it, a magic trick. It's an illusion, and I think we have to see through that illusion. And but we have to help the rest of the world see through it as well. At the moment, it's an illusion that the government believes, and that's where, for me, you know, in a, in a way, some of the things I'm talking about today are things that any anybody listening to this podcast could do themselves. You know, we talked about challenging sober shaming. We talked about talking about yourself in relation to stigma. We've talked about putting some money here into the cause. If you don't want to do anything active yourself, but you've got it, you've got a little bit of spare cash and you're happy to to smile to do it, put some money in. But there is one thing that I think, you know, that's really kind of big action that people can take. And I find it really empowering. I do it myself, even though I kind of work for us, which is becoming a campaigner, becoming an activist. Until we take, pull the wool off the eyes of politicians and probably many of the civil servants as well, we're not really going to get changed. But the moment we do do that, we will. At the moment, you know, there is there is action to change alcohol duty. This might sound like, oh, my God, this is like some, well, I don't need to know about the ins and outs of tax regimes, right? <laughs> Educate yourself. Find out about the ins and outs of the tax regime. Find out what is going on with cider and why it's been massively subsidised, despite the fact it's the drink of choice for kids. Find out about that. 
get angry about it and then do something about it. And you can do that through us. You can do it with us. We can help you, give you everything you need to be an effective campaigner. And there is no shortage of ways you can get involved. And your MP will have to listen to you. That's what their job is. And every MP that hears from someone like you uh, or any of your listeners, you know, will, will, will start to change. And that way we change politics and we change culture. That for me is exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. Community volunteering as well. Uh, and basically going on your website, it, as I've said before, previous lives that we've done together was one of the first things that I did. And I read through the blogs and the information and the statistics that you put out there. And, and it was so reassuring for me. It, it made a difference. So what I was, anyone listening to this, um, follow Alcohol Change UK on Instagram, go on their website. I'm going to put all the links on, message you to see how to campaign, to become a community volunteer. And we need to all get together. The more the merrier, the louder the voice, start banging that drum even louder. And let's change things. That's what it's all about, right? It's all about that. And, I, you know, I'm 50, 51, something like that. I lose track. You know, at some point, I'm going to want to retire, but I love this job. My dream is that I retire from this job when I close down Alcohol Change UK because it's no longer needed. That's what our ambition is, is an organisation. Now, that might be me. If we can do it in my in my lifetime or my working lifetime, that would be amazing. But that is our ambition. Uh, but that needs a concerted effort from everybody now to get to get, and every action taken now saves a life. You know, I think so. So let's let's get together. Let's work together. And I think we're very open as an organisation as well. So, you know, people got ideas. You've had amazing ideas, Dave, and we've always kind of wanted to hear about those and roll with them and make them happen where we can. We don't believe we've got all the answers. We just believe we're a place where people can come together, work out the answers and then take action. And from a personal side as well, Richard, is that um, I met you at the head office the other day. I didn't even know you was going to be there. So it's nice surprise when you open the door. But the team are just amazing. It's a small team, but everyone's just so lovely and equally passionate about doing the same. And it's an absolute honour and pleasure to be an ambassador for Alcohol Change UK. So it's a little well, thank, thank you. you from me as well to uh, have me involved in this. And I think everyone knows by now how passionate I am about changing things as well. And I'm just hoping that this podcast will go a small way to doing that and raising awareness for your wonderful organisation and what you've got going on. Also to download the Try Dry app now anyway of uh, Sober Spring. There's so much on that. And let's meet up soon again. We've got lots to talk about, about my live-a-thon. That's uh, again on the 26th of March for 24 hours. I think you're going to be the first guest on and then you're going to come on at the end when I'm probably looking slightly different <laughs> up in the air, matchsticks and eyes, but um, it's such a worthy thing to do. So um, I'll probably really see you again. Yeah, yeah. And thank you so much for joining me today, Richard. It's an absolute pleasure, Dave. Thank you from us to you for all you do as well. You're an absolute um, superstar. You're a total friend of the organisation. And, you know, we wouldn't be what we were without your, your support. So thank you. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure, mate. Thank you so much. See you soon. See ya. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of One for the Road. Please remember to subscribe and leave a review. You can now download my app, Sober Dave, on the Apple and Google Play Store. And on there, you will find lots of tutorials, 
tips and support to help you stop drinking. And there are also meditation audios, food plans and chat forums. You can also find me on Instagram at SoberDave. Please remember to join me for next week's episode. But until then, thanks for listening and have a great week.